Welcome back. You guys, I am really thrilled. I've been having so much great interaction and encouragement, people sharing this story of the end. We're only getting started. We've got the prologue out, we've got chapter one out, and today comes chapter two. I just want to stop and thank you all for being such an encouragement. Those who have helped share the podcast, who have sent it off to their friends, shared it in groups, or even reposted on their stories, it's meant the world to me. I'm truly blown away. It's already climbing into the top three spaces of my most listened to episodes. And I mean, that's right up there with some amazing guests, including Derek Olson from Megalithic Marvels, Nate Henry from Blurry Creatures, and it's already almost in spot number three. You guys, I am so thrilled at the response that this book is getting, and I can't wait to see how it continues to impact lives and encourage people because I want you to understand I'm enjoying writing fiction. I'm enjoying writing this story from a theological, biblical, sci-fi approach of the end of the world with this unseen realm, supernatural worldview in mind. It's exciting to see the potential possible realities. Now, I'm not saying that I am writing a prophetic book of what's to happen, but I'm writing a story that I hope will connect with the individual believers to remember what is the purpose and the call amidst the mundane, amidst the difficult, and amidst the trials as we learn what it really means to endure to the end. Now, I've had a few people check in on me and, and ask, are you, are you okay? I, and I want you to understand, remember, yes, these people in the story are based off of people I know and myself and my family. There are characters I'm creating, including that of myself. Now, yes, I have woven in very real circumstances and obstacles and mental health challenges and emotional roller coasters that I myself have gone through and watch other youth pastors and others go through in their lifetime, especially as leaders, as pastors, and as followers of Jesus. The great emotional wins and losses, those ups and downs, to answer your question of Am I all right? Yes, I'm okay. I'm writing this from a perspective to help guide someone along the journey of yes, feeling tired, feeling burnt out, wondering what your purpose is, searching for your identity, searching for your destiny, enduring the hardships of letdown and loss and frustration when things you desire for don't come into fruition and how to persevere and endure and fix your eyes on your first love. Woven in all throughout this book, you're going to find subtle encouragements of truth, of revelation, of biblical fundamental identity pieces that you can apply to your everyday, painted in real life scenarios and emotions that we experience on the day to day. And as these episodes continue to flow on a weekly basis, one, thank you simply for listening to this. If this is your first episode you came by, be sure to go back, check out the prologue, check out chapter one, and get ready for chapter two. And if you haven't already, be sure to follow along with the journey on my Instagram at kevin.scott.johnson. As the journey unfolds, and just in case you are wondering, yes, I actually do habitually check the analytics of this podcast, and every time another view, another listener, another download comes in, 
I celebrate. It's like when the angels rejoice when a sinner repents. Me, I'm celebrating that somebody is hearing the story that I believe God has compelled me to write. And I'm not saying he's compelled me to write this as an unfolding narrative of what is to be, but to remind us to turn back to our first love, not just Jesus, but the proclamation of his salvation for all mankind, and then the end will come. So without further ado, I'm going to hop right into this next episode. And if this patio drama has been a blessing to you in any way, it's encouraged you or it's been entertaining, be sure to share it. Tag me on Instagram. I'd love to reshare your post and I'd love to hear about how it's helping maybe you spread the gospel. But I won't ramble on anymore. You're going to hear me plenty enough in this episode. It's a good one. So I hope you enjoy chapter two today of the end. when she really went in about the hybrids and the Nephilim host mothers. And she talked about the third strand of DNA that was imparted to Hitler by Satan and how that relates to the biblical character Nimrod. Wow, you're just going all in, huh, man? Yeah, this is fascinating to me. The biblical Nimrod and the birth of hybrids in our generation? It's kind of a question, one of which you maybe could answer by explaining your understanding of that. How that happened and the Genesis point we're seeing in all the hybrid stuff today. I think there's two different sides to that, which people describe alien greys and reptilian. These are not quintessential hybrids, however, they would be more like two mutations of an ongoing program. But that which is quintessential, in other words, is the Antichrist, is clearly a hybrid. We know that because of Revelation 19.20, as he's thrown into the lake of fire with the false prophets. They don't stand before the great white throne judgment seat of Christ. Why? They're pharion, they're beasts, they're not fully human. When God said, let us make man in our image and likeness, he made man, body, soul, and spirit, in the image of God. Being triune in nature, meaning that God is a unity of substance with a plurality of persons, therefore being made in the image of a Trinitarian model, in our making designed by God, a three-strand model, I believe our DNA displayed that. So when God created Adam, I believe he contained a third strand in his DNA, as opposed to the double helix that we now know as the DNA structure of mankind. So where's the third strand? There's just something missing. So I believe what happened was God created Adam and the third strand is spiritual. It is that which represents the spiritual capacity to converse with God face to face and not die. When God would walk with Adam in the garden, they had fellowship, communion with one another. And as he showed him the trees in the garden, he said, you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So on that day that he ate of it, he died. But he's solically alive physically alive for another 930 years or so, but in another manner, he did die that day. So what happened? That third spiritual strand in his DNA died. That's why you see Moses later, he can't even look at God. He lost that spiritual capacity to look upon God and have relationship with him without your face melting off like some Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. And that third strand then was replaced with a fallen nature I call a sin code. Now the question is, from that sin code, can it be accessed by Satan? Now being that it's spiritual, you're not going to pick it up on some radar graph when you get your blood test done and send it off to see your ethnicity or family ancestry. 
but it's accessible in the spirit realm. So let me ask you, can it be accessed by Satan? Well, let me answer that question for you. Yes, it can. Let me show you the proof. The spirit that is now operating in the sons of disobedience in Ephesians chapter 2 models that for us. Satan has access to actuate humanity through that sin code in the dead human spirit. Now, if we go back to the Hitler project where he had a vested desire to create this super race, this Aryan race, and for him to have a species trying to create an uberman or a superman. So, what qualified Hitler in order to be the human mechanism to initiate this quintessential hybrid? Because the Antichrist, he's not going to come on the scene looking like something weird, like Bigfoot or Sasquatch. <laughs> that makes sense, though. Because when Adam fell from the garden, I was always taught that, well, now everyone sinned. And I was just like, oh, okay, so one sin affected all humans forever? I mean, I guess, yeah, I get that. But also, it makes sense that to me perhaps what happened was a genetic mutation that affected all humans there forward until the promised seed of a woman would come, ultimately that was Christ, and crush Satan's head, right? I mean, we see Jesus after he raised himself to life from the dead and he was transformed. He had scars in his hands and his feet and his side, but it didn't affect him. He could walk through walls, it seems, and just disappear and reappear. We also see him eating, but it also didn't seem that he had to eat. He even ascended into the heavens alongside angels. <laughs> I mean, what is that? It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's just Jesus, the resurrected Savior, flying around the skies. That's right. So the Antichrist, he's going to come as a substitute for the Christ. He's got to be the quintessential man, right? The peak model of perfect evolution, which all mankind would desire. Disease-proof, powerful, seemingly unable to die, very much like what you would see in the Book of Enoch in Genesis 6 when the Watchers descended and took women for their wives, creating hybrid humans that were giants, heroes of old. In fact, much of Greek mythology likely comes from those entities and those mentioned in the Tower of Babel later as the sons of God. So for Hitler, there's a convergence on all the previous bloodlines among the kings of the earth, then the splicing on the Hitler-Aryan bloodline, and Satan. Because Hitler qualified through the sacrifice of six million Jews, a blood ritual, he qualified to receive a DNA download directly from Satan, accessing and manipulating that third strand I mentioned. That is the DNA of Nimrod, and that is the Antichrist. And in that third spot, it's filled with the strand of Nimrod, Apollyon, Abaddon. And that strand exists in these hybrid mothers that I work with in rehabilitating them and integrating them back into normal life. One of these ladies I was working with being an SRA survivor, that is a satanic ritual abuse survivor, she drew a strand of the double helix DNA. Then she drew a line right down the middle. And she said she was connecting internally with whom she was as a part of that project. And I said, what's that strand? She said, that's Nimrod. That's the strand that capiciate breeders require to conceive hybrids. This strand of Nimrod, Apollyon, Abaddon, or Alexander. Wow. You see, this is not normal. It's outside of God's order. And Satan knows there's a war coming in the end. But in his arrogance, his hope is that maybe he could defeat God and win the war against him and God's angels. So what else can you do but spend all your time creating an army? Well, I mean, if you look at the passage in Joel chapter 2, verse 11, there looks like a synchronized transhumanist army. They're all synchronized, one spirit. This is all in the day of the Lord. That is, in the end times, the coming return of God and judgment of God. I mean, you have to read this. 
Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. And we know the day of the Lord means the returning, soon coming Savior of Christ and the judgment of all mankind. It says in verse 2 here, A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor will there ever be in times to come again. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste, nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over mountain tops, like cracking fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them nations are in anguish, every face turns pale. They charge like warriors, they scale walls like soldiers, they all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other, each marches straight ahead, they plunge through defense without breaking ranks. They rush up on the city, they run along the wall, they climb into the houses, like thieves they enter through the windows. Before them the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? So, Satan and the Antichrist in their hubris are going to wage war on God and his people in hopes to dethrone and destroy God. Man, that's crazy. I mean, that's what Nimrod was doing at the Tower of Babel, right? Undergoing some sort of transformation, becoming a mighty one, a uh, mighty hunter of God's people, some kind of hybrid. Yes, 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 I yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, yes, I, I believe that the Tower of Babel is like a modern-day CERN. They're accessing the data of how to accelerate the betterment of mankind. But in doing so, they're stripping mankind of God's design by implanting the strand of Nimrod or also known as Abaddon, or Apollyon, Alexander. But also at CERN, they're unlocking the portal, opening the door to Tartarus, the spiritual location on the earth where Gabriel, Uriel, and Michael imprisoned the rebellious angels with chains in the earth, creating a gateway for those rebellious angels and their seed who have been imprisoned in an earthly spiritual realm to now freely access the physical earthly realm which then will be for Apollyon to rise in bodily form again, controlling his people by this demonic DNA. People who have willingly undergone transformation to become one of them, as well as human-angel hybrid armies, chimeras. As the Bible tells us, he will be released to torment the earth for a time. So, now Satan is asking what else he can do to create an army to make up the deficit between the armies of heaven and his troops for that last battle. Well, he's gathering the DNA to create his army. Abductions, organ harvesting, disappearing children, all this is satanic and an attempt to bring back a new, final, elite version of human, angel, chimeras, and hybrids to try and dethrone God when he comes to judge. I have an old, original copy of the book by G.H. Pember called Earth's Earliest Ages. Look at this. In this book, in the last chapter, he says, Like in the days of Noah, that was the first incursion of these Nephilim hybrids that was worldwide. Then there was a more restrictive incursion after the flood. That was the attempt of the fallen watchers to corrupt the human gene pool, going after the seed of woman and the seed of Abraham and those who would occupy the promised land. And the last thing George Pember said was, 
in the last days leading up to and prior to the return of the Son of Man, there will be a third and final incursion between fallen angels and mankind on earth. And there will once again be Nephilim walking the earth. Sorry to interrupt your podcast, Kevin, but you'll be arriving at work in just a few moments. Your schedule for today Amy, is- Amy, I was just getting to the good part. Amy was connected to all my devices, calendars, and conversations, and she was able to decipher when I may have scheduled a meeting or when I should anticipate one based on those emails, live discussions, text, and even from the predictive patterns of others based on their habits, routines, and millions of other data points processed on the network of those who utilize her support, all while listening through devices connected to the network, compiling and encrypting said information into decentralized blockchain data banks to be processed by quantum computing. All these pieces seemingly managed by an unseen intelligence then produces a very effective virtual assistant that turns even the most unorganized individuals like myself into high-level executives. That is when I listen to her. Amy, I was just getting to the good part. And now on account of your interruption, I'm going to spend the entire day distracted wondering what happens next. Would you like me to summarize the rest of your podcast for you so you can move on with your day? Amy replied, Amy's virtual assistant feature is free for all users. However, the company thrives on microtransactions. My verbal reply stating yes was a contractual agreement signed in the form of my unique vocal signature confirming the $2.99 quantum computing convenience fee I would pay. Amy had the ability to summarize books, lectures, podcasts, and even live seminars or radio shows, utilizing the massive quantum computers to analyze the content either previously recorded or being presented live, and instantly compares it to millions if not billions of data points based on the topic, content, audiences, previous books and episodes, tonal frequencies of live speakers, and countless other actions happening in live time to almost instantly present a unique, likely summary of the content requested, whether it is happening live or previously recorded. You got it. Just a sec. Amy replied as she pulled into a parking spot just out front my office. The blue and red lights began to gently pulsate through the car, giving me the sense that I was sitting inside the four-door brain of a small Greek titan watching synapses fire in live time. Here's the summary of your latest podcast. Kevin, you are to endure to the end. Silence. Waiting for the rest of the summary, I wondered if perhaps my satellite internet had somehow began to buffer, causing Amy to not complete her statement. Amy, what was that summary? And don't you charge me again for your bad internet connection. You are to endure to the end. Amy instantly replied clearly, not needing to reprocess my request. Completing her statement, however, it seemed like her voice was still activated, as a soft, staticky crackle continued to come through the speakers. I could swear I hear the sound of voices. Shouting. Crying. Whispering. And explosions coming through. However, it was so quiet and full of static, like the faint soft noise at the end of a vinyl record. I leaned down closer to my speakers trying to determine if I was losing my mind or if Amy was picking up some shortwave radio signal while still connected to the quantum network. I... I hear a voice. What is she saying? A soft, female voice, almost completely inaudible and distant, crackled through the speakers just above a whisper. Don't lose her. 
The eerily familiar female voice crackled through the white noise. Don't, don't lose her. Who? Who is this? Can, can you hear me? Hello? Desperately trying to listen for response, I positioned my head even closer to the speaker. Hello? Can you hear me? With my head now quite low to the floorboards of the car, I pressed my ear to the speaker in the door panel. The light popping noises continued to crackle through. I think... I, I think I can hear... Loser. Oh! I screamed as my coworker Melissa had just wrapped her knuckles on my driver's side door window. Startled, I jolted erect from previously having my ear pressed to the speaker in my door, slamming my head into my dashboard while my right hand pressed on the horn, catching myself from rebounding off the bottom of the steering wheel straight back onto the floor. <laughs> what, are, what are you doing down there? <laughs> Melissa was in full-blown hysterics at the expense of my bruised head and ego, though I am certain it was not her goal to terrify me, but rather to point out that I was already late to my first meeting of the day, that is, with her. Ah, geez, Magroods. Maybe a little patience could have gone a long way, I complained. You're already 10 minutes late to your first meeting. With me, might I add. And Amy suggested to me this morning that I might want to have a backup plan for next week that doesn't involve you, just in case. Amy wasn't really a gossip, but certainly helps getting the tough conversations out of the way by means of listening into the conversation I was having with Tara last night then utilizing that information to set my meeting agendas and to-do lists in the order of importance from urgent to irrelevant. Even sharing data with your pre-selected colleagues when it might impact each other's workflow or schedule. Right. I rubbed my head checking for blood. Are you planning on being gone next week and didn't tell me? Melissa bluntly asked. Well, uh, I think I might be coming down with something. <clears throat> I forgot I chatted with Tara about that last night. I should have shot you a text rather than leaving it to Amy to break the news, I confessed. I'm sorry. It's fine, I guess. Though, I might be feeling sick around the same time you get back if you don't hurry up and get to our meeting that started 15 minutes ago now, Melissa fired back. What were you doing anyways? She pressed. Uh... Already feeling insecure about my current state of mental health, not wanting to sound like I was applying for an involuntary stay at Western State, that is, the largest psychiatric ward west of the Mississippi, located just a few miles south in Tacoma, Washington. I thought up an acceptable half-truth. My speaker, it was glitching out. I was trying to fix it. For all I knew, maybe it was just a glitch, producing an auditory hallucination of sorts. Think you could work on your car stereo system when it's not my time you're spending? Melissa prodded. You got it. I grabbed my bag and followed Melissa inside. I had to move forward with my day. But what were those voices? I swear I heard something. Someone. Someone I knew, like a scene from a memory that hadn't happened yet. And what the heck did Amy mean anyways? That podcast summed up as enduring to some end? Was she saying I was just going to have to go back and listen to the whole thing myself? Maybe the podcast got boring and she couldn't produce a summary, and that was some default answer telling me to just endure the whole episode on my own and finish it off myself. I mean, that could explain the weird static too. Maybe she just aired out. After all, she's just a computer program. Yeah, nothing to get hyperfixated on. Let's get the next two days done, Kev. Get things set up for the week I'm gone, then you can just take a week off guilt-free and recharge. Clean cup, move down. I muttered the words from Alice in Wonderland's Mad Hatter to myself. 
signifying a mental shift to move on and away from my current point in focus and cluttered thoughts to a clean place setting in the tea party of my mind. The bad news, however, is I'm running out of clean teapots and cups. I don't know who was the first author to pen into their writings the sound of a clock ticking. That delightful tick-tock, rhythmically dancing back and forth with perfect timing, whoever it was must have had deeper pockets than myself in order to have procured such grandiose clock compared to the one used in my office. My clock was all tick and no talk, ticking the exact tick no less than four times per second, as if it were Travis Barker playing the 16th notes on the drums to Wolfgang Amadeus Requiem K626 Lacrimosa, sans the epic collab that would actually be, rather emphasis on the ability to totally distract me from concentration at all. That camp contract still needs signs, so I'll leave that on your desk. I also took the liberty of scheduling Tony to be the service director for next week, and I- Melissa continued to rattle off the points from her meeting agenda in order to ensure we had the week figured out in my coming absence which I applaud her for, as I never really had to think much about anything when I needed some time off. She'd just handle it. Knowing this, I continued to nod my head in approval, but my mind was staring through an imaginary window lost in my thoughts while still replaying this morning's encounter with Amy. This is likely why I was given the office that had no windows to the outside, considering that my ticking clock was distraction sufficient enough for me to completely disconnect from the conversations at hand while launching full throttle elsewhere in my thoughts. Melissa's words came back into focus like an old cable television set attempting to watch a scrambled channel. I figured you'd just have me speak while you're away, so I- Wait, uh, no. I interjected. Clara, actually. I'd like Clara to teach while I'm gone. Clara. The middle child of my three daughters would speak from time to time in our youth group. Whenever she shared, it always produced a great response in the students to be bold with their faith and not hide. In some ways, I was a little envious of what seemed to be her natural ability to inspire others to stand up for truth. In love, she carried an unshakable zeal for sharing all about Jesus with anyone she met, combined with an infectious joy more contagious than the common cold. Frankly, I often felt like I should just quit trying to get that fire going again for myself and let her take the reins of youth ministry. I even offered it to her once, but she refused to accept it. She said something about not wanting to have to do it. The idea that the reason why she loves doing what she does and never loses joy is because she doesn't have to. It's when she then has to, or is required to show up, be at meetings, go to conferences, she told me, That just doesn't interest me at all. In fact, that sounds terrible. That's the obstacle I tend to find creative people struggling to overcome. The skill or longevity of producing on demand. When someone creative is forced to create, the light simply fades from their eyes. But when they are liberated to freely create what they see, wherever their passion flows, they will flourish. Melissa agreed saying, Okay, good call. Do you want me to schedule her or... Come in, I said turning to my office door. It was Pastor Scott, another one of our associate pastors on staff whose areas of expertise spanned from interjecting perfectly timed, witty movie quotes that somehow fit into nearly any scenario to an untapped treasure trove of experiential knowledge pertaining to all things supernatural. There was never a time that he ever closed his door or asked me to leave when I was a kid recalling countless nights when I'd talk with him till 1am in his living room, verbally processing the woes of my 17-year-old self, while he somehow managed to keep nodding his head in response though he had apparently fallen asleep at some point in the last hour. 
And that's when I would finally see my socially awkward self out locking the door behind me. His door was always open to me, and likewise, mine will always be open for him, no matter who I'm in a meeting with. Hey, are you going to be around for a little bit, like the next hour or so? Scott asked. Yeah, I'll be here, I replied. Okay, so I got a guy coming in. He, well, <laughs> I don't know him at all, but that's no problem, really. Somebody referred him to receive some prayer ministry, and, well, if you'll be around, I might need, if you're available, uh, to call you over for some backup. I think it might turn into a deliverance session, which is fine, but I don't know if he's coming here wanting deliverance or not. It sounds like he might be getting forced to by his wife or something, so I don't know. I don't think there'll be any issue I can't address, but if you hear anything weird going on across the hallway here, don't hesitate to peek in and make sure I'm not getting choked out. <laughs> Scott began to chuckle, making light of the dark humor and the potential reality. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'll keep my door cracked, so if I hear anything odd, I'll come check it out. I replied. All right, well, it looks like you two were in a meeting, you know, okay, uh, I'll see myself out, thanks. Pastor Scott chuckled as he stepped back across the hall to his office. Uh, where were we? I asked Melissa. You're having Clara speak. The only other thing we needed to figure out was your podcast guest, which you scheduled for Tuesday next week, and then decided to take it off. Melissa jabbed, emphasizing my lack of planning to take a sick week while managing my schedule properly. Frick, I've been trying to get this guy back on my podcast for months. I complained in frustration towards my lack of oversight and administrative gifting. I wonder, do you think he might be willing to come on a call with me tomorrow so I can get that episode recorded? The guest I was attempting to have come back on my show loved talking about fringe topics and hot-button end-of-the-world type content, the kind of stuff that the FCC and Big Brother like to suppress with their, quote, fact-checkers, labeling my content as, quote, having been determined to be false or misleading, end quote, which I typically wore as a badge of honor. Considering most posts directly quoting the King James get flagged as hate speech, there was now a subculture of media consumers that won't even listen to your show unless it carries that badge of rejection from the mainstream media sources. I'll send him a message for you, Melissa began texting immediately. Feeling bad and wanting to make the inconvenience worth something to my guests, I blurted out, Ugh, man, I just feel bad. I don't want him to be irritated at me. Offer him another $100 on account of my poor planning, would you? No, Melissa said plainly. But since you offered, I just sent myself $100 from your PayPal on account of your poor planning and the irritation you caused me. Uh, I searched for the words to reply. But frankly, I wasn't even mad. I was impressed, really. The confirmation of the transfer had already hit my inbox notifications. Okay, he's good to swap for tomorrow. He said it actually works better for him, as something came up for next week, and he already planned on canceling on you and rescheduling for another time next month. Melissa said as she translated the incoming text. Wait, so he was going to cancel anyways? I didn't even need to offer him money? I flustered. Why do you think I just paid myself instead? See, he wouldn't have even cared. Whereas I still, on the other hand, am thankful for it, she teased. Great, then it's a win-win, right? A strange thumping sound emanated from across the hall, like a plastic grocery bag full of books had split open and began tumbling out one by one from the torn bag. Did you hear that? I asked Melissa. She simply nodded and looked to the hallway as the sound of voices began to rise. Perplexed, I began to head towards Scott's office, hearing distinctively two separate voices arguing with each other, neither of which belonged to Pastor Scott. I told Melissa to hang back and call security. One of the voices shouted one phrase while the other voice was speaking at the same time, saying the other. 
like two conversations happening simultaneously talking over each other. Aware that this is a situation, I bolted into Pastor Scott's office where what I saw took me a moment to perceive and comprehend what was actually happening. I saw a man hanging sideways on Pastor Scott's bookshelf with his head downward on about a 45 degree angle, like a giant man-sized spider. The pupils of both his eyes had filled in all the white space, swirling inwardly like two cauldrons of black tar being stirred in opposite directions. Pastor Scott was fine and unharmed, other than being visibly put out at the minor inconvenience of needing to recategorize his bookshelves after this incident. He appeared relatively unfazed by this supernatural demonic display taking place in his office, as if it were just another ordinary day in the life of a demon slayer. Gathering my wits about me, the man on the bookshelf turned his head 180 degrees to look straight at me, grimacing and snarling a toothy grin, when two voices began to speak from his mouth at the same time speaking over each other. As the voices collided in the throat of the possessed man, he shrieked like an Aztecan death whistle, launching himself with superhuman strength from the bookcase directly over Pastor Scott's head, crashing through his second story window overlooking the wetlands below. I gasped, lucky, and thought to myself, at least he's got a window in his office. Call 911, Pastor Scott instructed Melissa as he headed downstairs to get outside to the man below. I remained in Scott's office and walked toward the now gaping hole in the window where the man had just leaped through, peering down through the broken glass into the parking lot. I could see the man moving slightly, but he was certainly not going anywhere, and whatever he was manifesting had seemed to subside. Observing the shattered fragments of double-pane commercial-grade exterior-tinted window, I asked myself, if this would have happened in my office, I wonder if he would have leaped into my wall, destroying that awful ticking clock for me once and for all. Well, 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 what did I tell you? It was going to get interesting and quick. We're just launching full into the fringe side of the cryptids, the chimeras, and the Nephilim agenda. But don't worry, it doesn't get too obscure, just not yet. It still stays in the realm of potential reality of things that I've either witnessed or my mentors have. But let that not discourage you, scare you. Or put you off. Let it encourage you and equip you to the reality that we are facing unseen forces that desire to destroy us, to lead us astray, and by any means pull anyone they can from entering in to the kingdom of God. And we have to stay ever ready with our armor on and not shrink back, but proclaim the good news of the gospel. If this episode was fun, you liked it, it was weird, it was awesome, it was exciting, it was scary, Please go ahead, share it on social media. Tag me, kevin.scott.johnson on Instagram, and I'd love to reshare your post. Can't wait to see you guys next week. And don't worry, I'm watching every single one of you. As you come and I see another number, another person watch the episode, another person watch the episode. Yes, I love it because it encourages me that the very message that I felt God put on my heart to write in story form, to provide to a people, is actually being received. So thank you for helping me fulfill what I believe God has on my heart in this moment as one of just one of many avenues of sharing the gospel. All right. 
That's it. That's all I have to say. Thanks and God bless.